welcome to the Star Parent Podcast. I am so excited to release this episode with Lorraine Campbell today, um, having a conversation with me about my upcoming birth, which is coming closer and closer. And it's been very special to be part of the Star Parent Podcast um, while being pregnant and while getting closer to parenting um, someone who isn't myself, someone who isn't you know, an inner child or um, a client or a friend, because I think I've been practicing that kind of parenting for a long time. But it's very special to be becoming a biological parent, (laughs) which um, will be really interesting to explore what some of the stuff around birth uh, brings up. So I hope you all enjoy our episode today. I still have this visual of the cardinals and chickadees in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the fallen, uh, the fallen bird feeder has been a full-on success. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great way to start a new month. It's the day after one of my favorite times of the year, Halloween, and it's the first day of November, and we are here today to actually share with you officially that and Celeste is having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes, today I I'm just started my 30th week. So excited. This is your first child. And I love having conversations with first-time parents, um, especially people like yourself, because you're very aware of the not knowing. Like, there's a lot of parents that think they know going in and prepare to know all the stuff but when you go in knowing that you don't know there's a lot more ease involved so I wanted to have that be the kind of topic of the podcast today I don't know what's happening in the background but there's a little bit of rumbling oh yeah I'm just getting myself settled down so that there's no distractions is my headphones are okay though there's no sound uh, issue there okay no no everything's good yeah, I wanted to talk. I wanted to get dirty today and get down into the deep stuff that we don't always talk about, you know, being new parents. And even though I'm a new parent the second time around and my first son is the 29 year difference between my two children, I do kind of consider myself a new mom again. But mm-hmm. there's some about me that I can say that a lot of new moms don't have because it's your first time experiencing things so I'm like I want to dive in you know and so let's like what's been working for you so far so for me one of the big shifts I felt was when I switched care from being in obstetrics to being followed by a midwife so Mm. something happened in my nervous system when I went from like a medical kind of follow-up for my pregnancy to a more natural follow-up. I mean, the medical stuff is still there. Like I'm still getting blood tests and urine cultures and prenatals and doing scans. Like it just, the, the, the relationship with the birthing professionals different. So it, um, I'm not like anxiously worrying in the same way about all of the potential complications. It's more monitoring my lifestyle, my exercise, my diet. Um, So that's worked for me. Um, I was saying recently to somebody, I don't have anxiety (laughs) about giving birth. Like, I am very aware that there's going to be pain. (laughs) I'm very aware that there's going to be things that go um, not, I would say not according to plan, but I don't really have a plan, you know, like that's a good thing. I have a very loose plan, you know? Um, And I know even then it's like, okay, plan A would be to have the baby at home, plan B in the birthing center, plan C in the hospital, you know, I, I can't make that decision. It's something that will happen. It's not something I can choose. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's nice is like, I think I've had a lot of anxiety and stress in the medical world before, you know, doctors who don't really listen, um, people who kind of pathologize your 
system versus like listening to you as a person and seeing mm-hmm. because there's no way in the medical model you can individualize for a person to person like you have to kind of treat for the masses um and like so when I was trying to get pregnant you know it was like oh you have fertility issues and it was like no like I was queer for a very long time I was single for a very long time so I went to the clinic so that I could get inseminated <laughs> because I couldn't do that because I didn't have a male partner mm-hmm. I was having intercourse with. But it was like being treated like somebody with fertility issues, you know, put extra stress and anxiety in my system. Mm. And when me and my co-parent even looked at that, um, that kind of stress came up. But we got pregnant naturally, you know, it it took us eight tries, which isn't very much at 37, 38, you know, the age that I'm at. Um, and there weren't fertility issues, you know, but the, as soon as you're over a certain age, like, it's like, w- let's treat you like a patient for the worst case scenario versus like, okay, how can I optimize my body and my health? because there is no problem and I, you know, there's no problem yet. Right. Or there's no complication yet. So it's been very nice in the pregnancy to not feel that lens being looked at through that lens that, you know, there's a potential problem or there's a potential worry. There's an expression, Mm -hmm. expression my grandma used to say, which is like, don't worry, worry until worry worries you. And it basically means like when there's a problem that comes up, then you can figure out how to manage it. But if you're trying to prevent a problem from coming, you're creating a whole problem onto itself. That is very true. Wise grandmother. Let's <laughs> just, I, I wanted to backtrack a little bit just to bring our listeners up to speed because a lot of people might not know about, you know, your journey so far in becoming pregnant. Um, so you were, you were, when you, before you got pregnant, you were single, queer, and 37 and you were being treated as if you weren't able to become pregnant but just because of the fact of your lifestyle there wasn't a I guess a a niche for you is that one way to put it when what a way to put it I mean yeah I mean I was younger when I started right so I started at around 32 30 31 I I made a vision board and was like I want to have a baby and yeah I'm not in love with someone right now I don't have a co-parent in mind so what are the ways in which I can have a baby without that so I looked at you know artificial insemination and mm-hmm. um you know a, a donor um a co-parent and so I started with like trying to a few of my girlfriends you know very inspiring to do it on my own by artificial insemination and at that point, I was maybe 33, 34, and they wanted me to go on hormones. And, you know, they were treating me like I was a fertility case. And I was mm-hmm. like, but I'm not having sex. Like, if I was having sex with somebody, it's very possible I would be pregnant already. Mm-hmm. So I actually had to do a lot of advocating for myself. Okay. In the fertility clinics to say, you know, I don't really want to go on long term medications. Like, um, you know, I'm okay with the shot just before, but, um, you know, I, for me, the, the concern was if I start doing all of these fertility interventions, can I cause another medical problem with the side effects? Mm. Right. And as I said, like, I, I'm not, it's not like I was trying to get pregnant naturally for a few years and it wasn't working. So, um, yeah, you do have to advocate for yourself. They're, they're getting better, but you'd be surprised. Even some of these fertility centers that you'd think that they would be trauma-informed and educated yeah. around birth, some of them are, you know, you get a nurse or a doctor here and there who say absolutely the wrong thing um, and have no understanding. It's, I mean, I think through the years it's gotten better. and But you always in the medical system have to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. That is true. Because you know yourself better than anybody, really. You're your own expert. That's what we were getting at when you were saying earlier about the medical versus natural. 
And I'm wondering if the reason why you gravitate towards the more natural care is because it's more intimate and there seems to be more a logging of your every day to day. Well, I think like working with a midwife also, like I just had like a great interaction with my homeopathic doctor. Um, it's I'm like the expert that they're gathering information from yes, and then they're tailoring the remedies or the action plan around the information that I'm giving, which it makes a lot of sense, you know, and as a therapist, that's how I work. I'm not going to give a client advice or recommendations based on something outside in it will be okay this is what you're telling me this is what's worked this is what hasn't worked how can I tailor something that bridges to you while in the medical world it can sometimes be like oh here's your symptoms and I'm going to see you the iceberg the tip but nothing below so and they and you know some doctors are are have more time and can slow themselves down and ask better questions and other ones they're just very overworked and they're very rushed that's true so they don't hear they don't have a chance to ask you questions or to hear what you're saying they have to go right to what their textbook you know yes the protocol the protocol yeah yeah Yeah, I'll never forget when I first went to see my um, gynecologist for um for Sparrow when I was pregnant. And I remember just going through that checklist of, oh, you are, you know, above 44. So you're 44 and you are high risk pregnancy. So therefore you're going to be induced at 40 weeks. And I was like, I'm not going to be <laughs> induced. Like I told her you're not, she said, well, unfortunately this is what we have to this is a standard of practice. And I'm like, I don't really care because the standard <laughs> of practice doesn't apply to my body. And like, I already had come up with a whole plan of action. Like the day they call me in, I'm not going to show up. Like they, she basically said that she's like, well, you don't have to show up, but you know, this is what we have to follow. And luckily, you know, Sparrow came early. I didn't have to be induced, but I was so gung ho on my body doing what it needed to do naturally. And I know mm-hmm. that I'm not a doctor, but I know my body. Mm-hmm. So it was just mm-hmm. like, I, I felt so torn because I was like, I'm not going to let this happen to me. And I know I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, she's actually being induced right now. And I had asked her, you know, do you know why they're inducing you? She's like, I don't know. They just told me that I need to be induced on this day. And like so many people just don't ask questions. Yeah. They don't find out why. They just have this blind faith. And these protocols are made for thousands and thousands of people. It's not made for the individual. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes, listen, you have to be induced because you have preeclampsia, yep. because your Diabetes. life... Diabetes, yeah. Yeah, your life or the baby's life could be in danger. But other times, you know, like... Yeah, there's concerns, but then there's, you don't, people don't know to ask questions. There is a, a hierarchy of power in the medical world where it's like they're in the power position. Just wanted to take a moment and acknowledge how everyone has to manage navigating um, a medical system. And we do touch upon power dynamics that happen in hospitals and with doctors. And I've met a lot of people who have trauma um, within those relationships. And I've also met people who have found it profoundly comforting and reassuring to have those medical experts guide them in their process. So just taking a moment to highlight that your relationship with your medical practitioners in the medical world is extremely personal and there is no generalized right or wrong way there's what's right and wrong for each person and it's totally fine if people feel comfortable and safe and reassured and positive following whatever instructions they get and it's also okay if you have an intuition or a sense of you know what, I don't feel understood. I don't feel like this fits for my body and my story. And that bio, 
mental feedback you get in those experiences is something to listen to. If it feels good, go with it. If there's something that doesn't feel good, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to check in and say, what are my alternatives? And mm-hmm. you, you know, but I'm very lucky. Like I have Megan Tolbert, who was mm-hmm. on our podcast months ago. Yay. Like She's my doula. And she was very much about, you know, we can say no to these interventions if we are in the hospital. And, you know, she said, if you want to have a midwife, try, you know, it doesn't hurt to try. And I went to Motherwit for the birthing class and they were so good at saying here's what you'll get offered and here are the questions you can ask and here are the alternatives that you're allowed and the things you can say no to and Mm -hmm. not just for me but also you know for the birthing partners too because in those moments where the pregnant person is so overwhelmed you know it's good to know like yeah why am I being induced um can we can I try to do things on my own like go for a big walk or Mm -hmm. try some acupressure um sex have sex yeah there's there's, (laughs) I already have uh you know I love winter sporting and my joke has been you know if the baby is late that I'm just pulling out my snowshoes you know and (laughs) I'm gonna embrace deep snow and just you know climb up the mountain and then the next day because I'll never forget a friend of my mom's one growing up she has four children and she said she would always hike up Mont Saint-Hilaire the last few weeks of her pregnancy and have the baby the next day and I was like what a beautiful rich pregnancy ritual of like you know a little hike and then that brings the baby on so um and it's nice to hear women like you saying, you know, 44, yeah, you know, like, no, I know my body better. And I, it's, unfortunately, what can happen is if you get induced and it's, and you're not part of the masses, it can cause one complication after yep. the other. Then you end up with cesarean, or you have yep. a hard time breastfeeding, you know, and so it's, um, but it, it, we also have to be so gentle on ourselves with the birthing experience. Like, as long as both of you end up okay at the end, that's most important. That's true. It's true. That's what comes down to that's the health of the baby. Um, we did talk about getting crunchy earlier and me mm-hmm. talking about stuff that's a little bit more challenging. And, this, you know, I love talking about certain emotions that we don't talk about often in life is like jealousy and envy. You know, you said earlier, like misery loves company. And have you felt throughout through your pregnancy or sometime in your pregnancy that that ever came up in a conversation or, you know, how some people say you better watch out for this or are, are, are you preparing for that? Because we don't know. You don't know. It's almost like they're kind of wishing it on you. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, I've definitely, I don't think that people wish it on you. I think it's more, it's a trauma response, right? Mm, of yes. They're still caught in the fact, like, so trauma has this thing where it's like a movie that's on repeat, right? So this happened to them. So they project that it could happen to you. But sometimes it does feel like, you know, are you saying this? Because you, you hope it happens, you know, but it's like, no, they're just saying it because, they didn't expect it to happen but that's what happened to them and therefore they were they're going to expect it's going to happen to other people mm-hmm. you know and some people it's not just that it happened to them it's that it happened to their parents or it happened to their you know their step uh, children's birth or whoever right so I definitely have been hearing a lot of stories about what can go wrong and it's it's I've noticed myself in the past I've kind of listened to those birthing stories and just been so open with love and compassion and support of like oh my gosh that sounds so hard I'm glad you got through it okay like you're doing so good mama like Mm -hmm. and now I hear those stories and I kind of I'm like, I'm listening, but I'm listening and I'm kind of behind some type of protective wall or I can't over empathize. I can't lean in to this story physically and psychically because um, I I don't want to start being anxious. Right. right? Um, 
And I know that up until 25 weeks, I did have some anxiety around premature birth because two of my very close friends um, had very scary preemie situations and, you know, God bless, like both of their children are healthy and strong but, you know, I really felt the the trauma. I, I, like, remember holding my breath, just being like, just get this little one into the next phase. Just mm-hmm. give the mom and the family the resilience to survive this moment. Mm-hmm. And so as a, as a very empathetic person being pregnant, I'm just like, I hear other stories of, you know, things going wrong, complications happening, kind of, you know, people tell their birth story because they – good or it's like almost good trauma when it's and bad trauma like you you retell the story again and again right and yeah and I listen I just like I listen but I have to compartmentalize and detach and send love to it and be like I don't want any expectations that that is going to happen to me or that something else is going to happen you know um I think people sometimes when I say I'm having a natural birth or I'm doing it at home with a midwife um, have a reaction to it. You know, I can't be in somebody else's head and understand what the reaction is. You know, sometimes it's like, well, when you're older, you know, it's less likely that that's going to go well. And a part of me is just like, all right, like I have to trust that if I need to go to the hospital, that's my midwife's call, not somebody hearing my story's call. Yeah, know? exactly. And just remembering too, that people, we've been doing this for thousands of years like women have been doing this forever like my aunt has 22 children (laughs) and my cousin who's the same age as age as me at 12 years old she was helping her mom deliver babies in the mountains of Jamaica without any doctor or nurses available so and not to say that you know that's a good or bad thing but that's just the reality of the situation so for me when people say that they're having a home birth instantly that fear does rise up it's like the what ifs Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because like anyone who's had a child will know in a split of a second, anything can change. And you don't know, you don't even know what direction you're going in because you're being guided by somebody who else is in authority. So, but I've seen like videos and I've had friends who've had beautiful home water bursts and everything is glorious and it's just so beautiful you see everybody swimming around in a big puddle of yum and babies there and it's like it looks so magical so it's like it, it's possible I just wanted to take a moment to slow myself down to appreciate what Lorraine is sharing right now because positive successful stories are also really important for us to hear when we're pregnant and when we're about to give birth I think we live in a society where we have a lot of medical trauma and medical anxiety a lot of worries and concerns and they are really valid but sometimes it's also okay to hear what goes smoothly and what unfolds without worry so that we can reassure our subconscious and our conscious mind that things can go okay we can be hopeful that doesn't mean we're not prepared if things go wrong but something that's been really um, precious to me in my experience of being pregnant is to listen to those stories of of what goes well during birth and to not just focus on the stories of what goes wrong So I just want to take a moment to say that that's okay if we need to um, kind of check our our mental health biases that can lean towards negative and worry and to do some work saying, you know what, that's possible, but also it's possible for things to go well. And I just wanted to share that with our listeners today. And for me also to take a moment in uh, editing this podcast to say, yep, It's okay to hear good stories. It's okay to tell our brain that things can go well, to balance out how much we worry that things might not go well. It really is. And, you know, it's not like I didn't have some anxieties about, um, you know, home birth or birthing center birth. 
And it was going to the information session and talking to the because the midwife is still an expert, right? She is still yeah. the, you know, person in charge who, and it, the what really reassured my anxiety was, you know, it's kind of like you're driving on the highway and that there's so many exits available to you. So if something comes up before 32 weeks, then you get transferred back to the hospital. Something comes up at 32 weeks. Something comes up at this point. Something comes up at that point. Something comes up the day of delivery. If we start at home and something goes wrong, we transfer to the hospital, you know, and then the statistic is like it's under 1% that there are complications that happened last minute at home before a transfer is possible and you have to call an ambulance, you know? So it was like really helpful for me to, to go through all of the, well, what if the cord wraps and what if I start bleeding and what if the baby's yep. not breathing and what if, yep. you know, I need a C-section and it's just like, here are all of the points in which, they are very hyper vigilant, or I should say vigilant, healthily vigilant, mm-hmm. to say, no, we can no longer safely do this at home. We do have to send you to a hospital. And that's obviously for my protection and the baby, but it's also for their protection as a whole profession. You know, they want to have extremely high standards of care in their practices yes. because they don't want to you know, um, not be considered reputable. So um, it was really, it was the first information session went through all of the what ifs. And I said, wow, I feel so much. It's not a non-medical model. These are people who can give you a shot and give you stitches and Mm -hmm. write you a prescription, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's, it's just a different environment in which they're kind of doing medicine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's it's like it's everybody has their own what they vibe to and what what feels comfortable. And sometimes really I do have people when I tell them I'm having a home birth, there is a sense of like, oh, that's what I wanted, but I wasn't able to. And there's some grief that gets shared around yeah. there, you know. And um, I had a friend who, yeah, it was birthing center birth versus you know home, um, and she ended up with gestational diabetes twice, you know, so it was a hospital birth and it was, you know, and there was a bit of loss, but she's just so happy that she had two healthy babies. And yeah, that she's healthy. That's what it comes down to, you know, the health and the well-being of the mom and the child. That's what it comes down to at the end. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. I mean, I, I know some people have like their outfits and the, the take home outfits and the booties and all that stuff all put together. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the health well-being of the mother and child that comes down to it yeah I'm lucky too that I'm able to kind of detach I know we were saying a bit earlier before the episode like not everyone's able to detach from other people's birthing stories sometimes you know it really infuses you with anxiety to hear and then you worry that that could happen to you so you know I do I do recommend other women when they're pregnant to hear other people's birthing stories, but to take it all with, there's so many things that could happen. Don't attach to one thing good or bad that could happen. Yeah. There comes a point in time where you've educated yourself. It's like, it's like preparing for a test. You get to the point where you studied all that you can study and all you can just do before the test is just relax and Mm -hmm. have faith that you know what you need to know. You know, you don't know everything, but you know what you need to know. Otherwise you're, you stress yourself out. Yeah. And you stress your body out and it's not able to perform in the magical way that it's meant to. Like our bodies are super beings, you know, like it's, we could pass a whole human from it. Like it's it's really cool. If you get to see it, oh man, it's, it's super cool. And I've had to have some really hard conversations with some friends who would say things like, well, you know, once the baby's here, you're never going to sleep again. Or, you know, it's really hard when you become a new parent, like you, you know, and it's, it's going to be really hard. Like, I don't know if you're prepared for how hard it's going to be. And I've had to kind of say to people, you know, like, I'd like to reframe where that's coming from. Like Mm. I, what, you know, because the way I'm receiving it doesn't feel as supportive as I think you intend it to be. 
you know, and kind of challenging friends in those moments. I'm like, um, you know, I was like, I have my own fears and anxieties about what's going to be hard. Like, you know, I have to work on my own mental health to be positive and to Mm -hmm. overcome negative thinking. And, you know, I wonder where it's coming from, like, why you're saying this to me. Um, and, and for them to say, well, cause I care because I wish I had known, I wish I had mm. been prepared, you know? And I said, that's a great reframe. Like when you yeah. say, Hey, one thing, if you say to me, you know what I wish I had known was that, you yes. know, X, Y, or Z could happen versus you better get ready for how hard it's going to be. It's mm-hmm. like, that's like, you know, what happens when people talk like that? I just want to talk to them about it. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, bye. And I have, I have some friends who don't go into that at all. You know, I think it also depends too, like, um, you know, this is a child that's not happening accidentally. It's not happening, you know, um, unplanned. So there is a certain amount of intention of like, Again, I know I don't know a lot, but I also know that I'm getting myself into something versus sometimes I think people end up pregnant and don't necessarily um, have any sense of what they're getting into. And they really do wish they had been prepared a little bit more, right? Well, yeah, that's kind of happened to me at 15. I mean, right out of high school, I realized that there was no way I was going to be able to raise this child effectively if I didn't educate myself and that's why I went into early childhood education to 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 basically learn how to raise my son Theodore and then I fell in love with it and decided that this is what I wanted to make my life around you know and now having Sparrow the second time and being you know wiser and older I still I still realize that there's so much a part of me that needs to grow and understand different things different perspectives so it it feels like it's brand brand new all all over again and I have to remain open but at the same time like I did with um with Theodore I did create some boundaries of how much information I want to receive like I at one point I just have to let go I don't know what's going to happen and I can't over consume myself with information because it's it's too pressing on my like on my nervous system Mm -hmm. makes me too too anxious Absolutely. I think there's like a concept in, is it Hinduism? Um, some of the yogi, like Yogananda, like talk about this where it's like, we can get drunk and addicted to information. We can kind of end up in this addictive pattern of just seeking information, seeking information. And it actually really detaches us from our spiritual and physical well-being. And so that's it. That's how I feel about information too. It's like, if I want to know something, I'm, I want to be curious about it. And, um, you know, that's the the solicited, I will ask a friend who's a birth worker, what, how does this part work? You know, or ask a mom who's done it before. What were, what was this like for you? And those interactions feel really good. But when someone starts giving you a lecture, you Mm -hmm. know, on like a class on this is what parenting was for the, and it's like, I didn't, I'm not open to this right now. I'm not open to receiving this information right now. Maybe I'm tired. Maybe the way it's formed is more because you need a vent about what you're not happy with. And it's like, that's not what I'm here for. You know, I'm Mm. curious as to studying for that test, right? Like, okay, where can I kind of, okay, I can learn about this. I can, okay, it is good to know that I could end up in the hospital and have to have a, you know, a C-section. That's, that's, I'm aware of that, you know, I, I could have a baby who has colic, you know, and have to deal with like watching them with their indigestion pain every day, not being able to soothe them easily, you know, for weeks or months at a time. Um, But I don't need to uh, become gratuitous or like oversaturate in those places. Yeah. And it is important to kind of say to friends, like, you know, because sometimes I think what we feel is either like, yeah, you said you ask, like, sometimes you feel like, are you jealous that it's going really well for me? 
Or do you want it to be hard for me? Does a, does a part of you like wish that I struggle with this? Yes. Oh my and- goodness. I, yes. I had mentioned that actually in an, another podcast, like with another mom at a park where I'd gone to a swim day and I forgot our towels. And she'd said, I'm so glad that you forgot the towels because I would have thought you always come across as so perfect. And I just remember looking at her with that look in her face, like, why are you wishing that I would forget the towels? Because like, it just, I was so annoyed with myself for forgetting the towels, but having her say that was like, why are you, why are you thinking bad things for me? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> but it's, what's interesting is like, yeah, I exactly. And, and that question of like, are you, are you jealous that it's going so yeah, good? Yeah, exactly. or, or are you hoping that it doesn't go well? I think that that's a question we ask and I ask it, but I'm gentle about it because, you know, I, I really don't think that that's the intention from the other person. I really look but at it. Could it, be. it could I, be. <laughs> I think if we reframe it, it's more like they, they want to know that they're not a bad parent because they forgot the towel. Right, right. They don't, they want to know that they're, they didn't do something wrong that made them deserve to have a complication. It's not because they're bad that this thing happened to them. It mm-hmm. happens. So it's the trauma response. Just wanting to take a moment to normalize trauma responses and we should be mindful when we're sharing stories around birth and upcoming births and to be aware all of us birthing humans and non-birthing partners that we can trigger each other in talking about what goes well what doesn't go well um and so when somebody tells their story as if it's happening again, that's a trauma response. It's like, well, this is what happened to me. Maybe this is what's going to happen to you. And to have a lot of compassion and to know that we open each other up to these triggers and to these responses when we start telling our stories or when we start imagining what is my birth story going to be. Like, we don't know until we get there. We do know that once it's happened, we kind of relive it over and over again until we've integrated it into our system because that's how our brain processes events, particularly big events and traumatic events. Even if it's a positive outcome, um, I feel like birth probably still gets stored in our brain a little bit like a, <laughs> a trauma resp- a trauma story. Um, and... Uh, we we play every moment kind of over again um, as we integrate and as we process it. So just something for me to think about, for maybe our listeners to think about, that we can easily step on little landmines with each other when we're talking about birth and when people are talking about their births and how to kind of untangle ourselves from projection and displacement onto each other. And my favorite word in this episode is the reframe. How can we reframe? Well, this is what happened to me. I, w- I don't know what your experience will be like. This is, but this is what profoundly impacted me. We hear each other better when we frame what we're sharing from our perspective versus saying and what what's happening with somebody else, you know, or how it makes us feel. Oh, it's so nice to see you messing up. It doesn't feel good for someone to hear. Versus, oh, it reassures me that if someone who seems so perfect and skilled to me can make a mistake and be a great parent, that I can also make mistakes too. So a little nugget about the reframe and just being gentle with each other when it comes to sharing and knowing what types of things can trigger responses in ourselves so you know but I mean you know I have my good days and my bad days right? yes. like when yeah. I'm in a good day I can say okay like it's not that you don't want me to have a good birth it's that you're processing some of the secondary losses and yeah. the grief of how your birth went 
Um, that has nothing to do with me. And then on my mm-hmm. bad days, it's like, I don't, I, maybe I just need to take a little bit of space from this person because I'm not feeling the support that I need, you know, um, to, to feel like encouraged versus like, well, get ready for things to go wrong. It's like, well, I know things are going to go wrong, but that's maybe not where I want to focus. Maybe that's where I want to land at the end of the day. Yeah. 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 But I, it's true, eh? When when we're very together, people they celebrate when we mess up because they feel better about their own messing up. Yes. But it's not because they're happy we messed up, you know. And here's the thing, it's okay. It's okay when they mess up, it's okay when we mess up. It's but it's it life. Does- it doesn't feel good though when somebody says it's like don't as opposed to if this woman had said to you you know what, like, you forgot your towel today, but you really strike me as the person who always has it together. You should be really compassionate with yourself that, like, I watch you in the locker room and I aspire to be a mom who's as organized as you. So <laughs> we all have our human days. Just know, like, most of the time you're really doing great. That would have been so different if she had yeah. said that to you, yeah. you know, versus, like, ha, you know? Basically, like- basically that. And the thing is, it's like, I know it's coming because – I know I'm an excellent early childhood educator. I'm amazing at what I do, but a mom, that's a different story. My <laughs> standard as a mom is so different as a qualified early childhood educator. So yeah, there was a little bit of a sting to it, you know, because I was in mom mode and moms forget stuff, but it's like, cause I wasn't, you know, so it's like, it, it's also for me too. Like that's actually the next question I wanted to go into is like, have you started any of your, deeper inner child healing now that you are pregnant has it awakened parts of you that you weren't tapped into before um I mean so to be fair like I do know like from a therapeutic point of view it's not recommended to do deep work when you're pregnant um so it's okay to deal with stuff as it comes up and to continue to grow. But there are certain like forms of trauma work and therapy that are really counterindicated when you're pregnant because Mm. healing is hard on your adrenal system. It's hard on your stress and cortisol levels. It can wear down your immune system. It can, so you know what? Sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. Yes. So I haven't gone into any deep diving when I've been pregnant, although I have to say in preparation for getting pregnant, I have spent the last six years doing so much inner child work. Mm -hmm. I had a beautiful experience last year with uh, addressing some really intense, like, uh, trauma that I lived through when I was very young I did EMDR which is a form of therapy that you know goes very deep and you know she said to me she's like this is great and then she said once I was pregnant she's like we can't do that kind of deep work until after you know you've recovered from the pregnancy because you don't know what you're gonna shake loose right and sometimes if you shake things loose you can even Sounds like a loss. Yeah. yeah, you can you can lose the baby too, right? So so I haven't done that kind of deep work. Although, you know, that work once you start it, it's always there. Um I, I interesting, something happened last week where I woke up in a situation was very triggering for me. And um, you know, I did have a trauma response yeah. to, to an interaction that happened. And it was like, I had, a, I was at like a crossroads, you know, in my own nervous system. And my body was like, do you want to let, do you want to f- embrace this full on and be flooded? Or do you want to allow your feelings to come up to journal about it to write about it and to maybe deal with it in a lighter way (laughs) yeah and I remember we talked about it yeah and in the past you know I would have said you know what it's okay let me just fully embrace the feelings let me be flooded and you know and I was like I don't know if I want so much of an imprint on this baby right now you know like I don't have to go that deep 
And, um, but I still, I needed to, what's interesting is that I still needed to cry. I still needed yeah. to really embrace my vulnerability. I was able to do some really nice writing about when I feel unsafe in the world, I kind of don't trust people and I want to hide and I want to hermit and, um, I can really become avoidant and dismissive And I shared that in order to break that, you know, I was like, I am crying. I do feel like I'm kind of a little kid again, who's like surviving, fighting for my life. But I was, I was able to talk about it without embodying it. Yeah. So, and it was so great because sharing it with people was a way of saying, I'm trying not to disconnect right now. I'm trying not, okay, like not everyone in the world is safe, but I do have friends. Yeah. And people who are really safe. And I want you to know that I'm not as tough (laughs) and as invincible as I can appear. I can also be very vulnerable too and feel quite um, tender. And so that was like been really good trauma work of let me break this path. Let me soften Mm -hmm. and not be so harsh. Yeah. Did you notice how your baby responded to you during this time? Did you notice any shifts in there? And their movement or no I mean I think there there was like a little bit of stillness at the beginning <laughs> of the day I went for a swim you know and then I worked um and it was more it was less about me feeling the response from them it was more like me intentionally what what am I giving them you know okay, gotcha. and I was also imagining you know like as a parent you're going to go through moments when people really hurt you and make you feel unsafe and the conversations we might have in the future about just because one person hurts you doesn't mean every person is going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when do we need to stand up for ourselves and when do we need to take a step back and protect ourselves? And I really felt like it was such a, I was giving myself, I was parenting myself through that. Mm. Like I definitely felt, even though my inner child was kind of coming up, my inner parent was there with her. Mm -hmm. And so my, the baby was kind of experiencing the parenting and the trigger both, which I felt was like a healthy thing to expose the baby to. It's like, yeah. You're going to be exposed to that again. (laughs) Yes. Well, that's the thing. Like even like with Sparrow, I noticed, and this has happened from from the like five months pregnant, I noticed if I was upset or sad or in a vulnerable situation, like I went through a lot of abuse during my pregnancy and there afterwards. And when I was pregnant, I remember Sparrow used to sleep a lot when I was sad or if I was having an upsetting episode with my ex he would just be still and even after he was born I noticed that if we had an if I had an argument with my ex or something was going wrong in the household his naps would extend like he would have longer naps like he would not be awake and I'm almost wondering if it was like that was his kind of coping mechanism or you know like I and I see it even now he's two and there's sometimes where there's difficult energies in the house and he will put his hands by his ears and be like, I like, I don't want to hear about it. Like, it's almost like he just doesn't want to have to deal with it. So we've been really labeling our emotions and just kind of being in that energy. And like that it's, we're here. It doesn't feel good. Um, yeah. It's passing now because I feel like it starts really young with this disassociation of hard feelings um, because we, we're not sure where they're coming from. It's, stuff that he could have been he's been experiencing since the bait since inside of me and not really understanding the whole the process of them passing so I just find it really fascinating yeah I think what you're saying about labeling the feelings you know and and that's kind of where I was at I was like well I don't want to fully dysregulate because that's just like it's just so hard on the body to you know and sometimes listen we don't have a choice. You know, I got rear-ended a few months ago and I totally went into a shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that and that's okay. It's it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. But um what I needed to do was to not disconnect, but to write and to label for myself, yes. you know. Sometimes you feel this way, sometimes you feel 
threatened. Sometimes you feel aggressed sometimes. And, and, and that reminds me of when I was little and what I need is to feel like I don't always have to have it all together. So you're right. Like, I think also it's okay. Like we think dissociation is like a bad thing that people are like so terrified of it. But, you know, it's actually a beautiful and remarkable resilience model that our brain innately has inside of itself. You know, when a child is very young or even nonverbal and is dealing with some type of abuse, the fact that they don't remember it is a protection mechanism because and sometimes people don't even have their memories until their 20s or 30s or 40s. Because that's the point when they have the resources and the functioning to manage it. But when mm-hmm. they were a little kid, it's not, you know, uh, they, they they couldn't understand it. They couldn't process it. So, you know, um, it's interesting how, like, you know, if he needed to sleep through those moments, like, that was a protective thing. Yeah. Of, like, and also spiritually, you know, I really believe that, like, children gift us as much as we like they heal us as much as we heal them you know his prolonged naps are probably like mom you need some extra time totally for yourself and i'm gonna give it to you so that you can you know so that you don't end something and then have to start parenting right you got that extra 20 minutes to kind of regulate yes you know, which I think he's is... been always so good at that. I have to say, he's both of my children have been amazing sleepers, <laughs> and it's been so good for me in these moments just to have that extra time to to, to ground myself before starting to parent again. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. this has been great, Ancelas. I love mm-hmm. our conversations. I love just talking about what comes up in our everyday life because this is this is what's brings us to the next levels everyday living practicing our tools making sure that we're you know connected with ourselves and aware of what's going on around us absolutely and we'll definitely have to give our listeners like an update i'm curious actually you know to have like an episode with you um after the birth to be like wow okay here's my (laughs) here's my new understanding yeah you've been on the other side or I'm glad I was doing this before or you know what now I get it you know all of that yes absolutely we'll definitely have that conversation once baby comes I know you're due in January so it's quite a bit of ways away but um you know weeks yeah yeah. (laughs) it's so funny people are like that's so soon or feels so far it's still oh you still have time I I feel like it's quite far away you know 10 weeks feels long to me Mm -hmm. but I also know that uh it's not that long (laughs) enjoy it while it lasts enjoy 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 (laughs) well I thank our listeners for for tuning in once again and I ask everyone you know what does spiritual parenting mean to you because whatever it is just seek it ask for it and do whatever it takes to make you shine because you will have a great day Bye. Thanks, Ed Celeste. Thank you so much.